the Father in heaven, <clears throat> Lord, we come before you uh, this morning and we plead for your Holy Spirit. Lord, it's, it's been already a few days and we have, most of us have probably not gotten a lot of, a lot of sleep, but we know that your grace is sufficient for us. And you are the one that can sustain us, and you are the one that can give us the strength and the power necessary for us to be able to minister at any time of our lives. Um, Lord, we're going to discuss your strategic plan for the time of the end, how you have designed us to finish the work. And Lord, may we learn how to put our lives in alignment with your plan so that we don't um, just kind of fiddle around and try to do our own will in some ways, but, but that we can align it with yours because when we align it, then you bestow upon us so tremendous blessings that we would never be able to get if we would not be in your ideal will. So let us have that burden and that commitment. And Lord, the second thing that we're going to study this morning is the steps on how to know the will of God for me personally. So Lord, that is a great burden that we have. It's a great question that we have in our minds. And please open our minds to, to, um, to your leading, the way you lead so that we cannot be deceived and that we can be 100% sure that where we are or where we need to be is God's will, Lord. That's our prayer that gives us peace, that gives us happiness, it gives us confidence that, uh, that what we're doing is not because of our own efforts, but it's because of your merits and your efforts that you do in our lives. Lord, thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. You ready to hear God's strategic plan? How in the world are we going to finish this work in this generation, right? I think we already have a little bit of an idea of how it's going to be doing, how it's going to be going, right? Let's recap from what we learned last time, a day or two ago. What did we learn on what did we learn on how we're supposed to do mission work? How we're supposed to live as an Adventist people. What do we learn? <clears throat> Business evangelism, okay. What does that mean? What does that mean? Uh, it's nice to, you know, <laughs> put a nice little phrase out there. Through my work or my business to make mission. Through my work or through my business to do mission work, right? Now, somebody can explain this. Let, I'll play the devil's advocate, okay? I'll say, yeah, but can't I, can't I be a testimony? Can't I be a witness at any, any, any enterprise, any worldly business? I can, be a, I can be a, you know, maybe I can be a positive influence on somebody there. Isn't that, isn't that, isn't that valid? From the studies that uh, have uh, been made, uh, we see that uh, you cannot reach too many people in this way. Few people, two, three. Yeah. 
the entire business is focused. Aha. Uh -huh. It's a lot more effective if the entire business is focused on mission work. Use your gifts to build up Babylon. You know, it's not so efficient as if you use your gifts to build up. Absolutely. Absolutely, right? Uh-huh. What else? You have more liberty to do what you want to do if uh, you have your own business. You have more liberty? You have all the liberty to do what you want to do, right? Amen. That's a lot more exciting, right? Yeah. What else? You know, when you are in a place where everybody has the same vision, same mission, I've seen, you know, such institutions, they don't have far more power, uh -huh. and such institutions usually last. But institutions, you know, where the vision is not the same, it's it's quite difficult. It's it's hard. So when you have your own, you know, working with people who share the same vision, you're you're going to the same direction. You have the same aims. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh huh. And um, you, um, do your work. Your work is about God, and your business is about God. And we can work together. Then somebody from uh, another church can say, "Okay, those people have a power for God. Look, they help them." And um, it's different because if every one of us is working in a different part, uh, somebody from uh, from another church. Uh, maybe it will be hard for him to see the power of our God, but if we are together and we work together as uh, as a church, it will be much more simple. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because suddenly you're investing all of your time into what God says what we should invest your time in, right? You know, it's really hard, for me at least, you know, it was really hard to... To, to, to tell people about how amazing the gospel is, how God has given everything for me, when I invest about two hours of my week in God, you know? It's like, I mean, postmodern Christians, uh, not Christians, postmodern people, right? They look at you and they say, okay, if, 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 if this is the truth, why are you investing all your week in something else but the truth, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a problem. It's a problem. Now, another question. Can we say now that everybody should stop their worldly job and get into full-time mission work now? Uh-huh. What do you say? Get in the right direction. Uh-huh. Okay, get into the right direction. Yes. I think that's the responsibility of least for many people to live life and make a plan of attack. Amen. Amen. It destroys it. Absolutely. So can it be that God actually leads you to a worldly institution to work? It's all about God's calling for your life. You might call it for now to be 
in a certain place and he might move you later. So it's it's all about your relationship with God and what do you understand that God wants to do. Yeah. So is it possible, even though that what we have talked about, what we've developed here, this is the ideal, right? Do you remember? That's the ideal that we, that we set up. This is our goal. Ideally, God's will for each one of us is to eventually work full-time for God, right? That's the ideal. We can't say that that's not the ideal because if we lose the ideal, then we lose focus, right? But we can't say that it's not God's will for somebody to work in a worldly job for a time. That's possible, right? That's possible. This is really, really crucial because we don't live in the ideal, okay? Not yet. We don't live in the ideal yet. If we would be living the ideal, we would have a thousand organizations, okay? We would have a thousand ministries here in Sweden only, right? But we don't, right? We have like one. So what if everybody would understand that and say, okay, I'm going to join this one ministry. No, it would actually kill the ministry probably, right? So that's not, we, we don't live in the ideal. We live in reality and therefore we need to take, we need to take um, the ideal and put it as our objective where we're going to be and now from where we are in reality okay we only have one ministry here or two or whatever right I need to start working towards the ideal how do I work towards the ideal gradually one step at a time what would be one step at a time maybe next year I can, I can tell my boss I want to work 80% not 100%, right? And work 20% for mission work or for something, developing some a new project, right? Maybe it is if you're a doctor, right? Maybe you can, instead of working in a worldly hospital, you can start your own practice, right? If you start your own practice, hey, that is part of self-supporting work. That is part of mission work, right? If you put these principles into practice, right? If your objective is to do evangelism through your, through your practice, oh yeah, that's big time, right? So you can either start your own business. Not everybody's called to start their own business or ministry, right? Not everybody's like entrepreneur, let's get this thing going, right? Not, not everybody. So, so it would be horrible if people that are not called to do that go start, try to start a ministry. It's a flop, right? And it, be, it brings a bad testimony on all the stuff. And this has happened, right? So we don't want to do that. So gradually, we, say, we think, okay, maybe I need to change my job into this. You know, I can, I can, you can work for a time, but realizing that God can call you there even though it's not the ideal, right? Even though it's not the ideal. If you're young and you don't have any, you know, restrictions, for me, for me, this was easy, right? For when I understood this, I didn't have any debts. I didn't have any restrictions. I didn't have any, you know, family to take care of. I didn't have a car or a house or anything, right? So for me to say, oh, God, use me, you know, full time. I'm going to go to the mission school. I'm going get, to get some training, and I'm going to start something. That, that was easy for me, right? 
It wasn't hard because, because I didn't have any restrictions. Now, if you have debts and you have all these things, then we need to take care of those things, right? We need to, actually, we need to bear the consequences of our decisions from the past, right? You can't be irresponsible with these things. So that's really crucially important, okay? Because, because you can get fanatical, you know, you can get extreme understanding the ideal and just thinking, oh, I need to jump into the ideal, you know? So we don't want to do that. We want to go gradually, intelligently, make step by step, okay? This is how I can use my talents. If I'm an architect, this is how I can use my talents. Okay, where do we need this and that, you know? Where do we need to build another church? Where do we need to build a sanitarium, you know? Where, where do we need to this and that, right? So you start thinking along mission work instead of along business world and just about profit, right? That's the, that's the paradigm shift, right? So that's really, really important. Okay, something else that we discussed last time was how were we to reach the cities? How were we to do evangelism? Okay, we figured out it was uh, based on the concept of business evangelism. Why business evangelism? Why do we call it business evangelism? Actually, the General Conference calls it comprehensive, sustainable evangelism okay comprehensive sustainable evangelism why does it have to be sustainable comprehensive because everything is involved every job everything can be involved sustainable why sustainable yeah it can't be supported by tithe right it can't be supported by tithe because there's not enough tithe to support every single ministry that is out there if we have thousands of them, right? doesn't work. So it has to be self-sustaining. It has to be self-sustaining. So, so, and that is another term for self-supporting. It's the same thing. Actually, what we're talking about is the ideal of self-supporting work, right? Lay missionary work. Right? So comprehensive, self-sustainable, self-sustainable or sustainable Evangelism, it's, it's, a, it's a sustainable program. It's not just, you know, how, you know how we've been doing evangelism in the past, the whole, our whole history, how we've been doing evangelism. We go into the city, and what do we do? Yeah, we put some leaflets, right? We send some flyers out to all the people in the community, and then we expect them all to come to a, an evangelistic campaign, we try to baptize as many as we can, and then we leave. And then some stay in the church, and then a lot of them leave in the, from the church, right? This is how we've been doing evangelism, like an event. You know? Event-based evangelism. That is the, you know, that is like, can I say that? That's like the most ineffective way to do evangelism, right? The more effective way to do evangelism is how? If it's, yeah, continual, if it's ongoing evangelism, it has to be ongoing evangelism. That's why <clears throat> sustainable evangelism is based on organizations, it's based on ministries, on businesses, on enterprises, because they continually are doing something. A restaurant every single day is doing evangelism, right? It's not just... Once I come in here and I'm going to try to evangelize this city and try to convert these, this whole city and then leave again. No. It's ongoing. It's all the time. Light 
shining from these places all the time, right? And we are to do health programs, continual health programs in our places, right? So sustainable evangelism is the most intelligent way because you do evangelism all day long, all night long, all the time, all your life, right? So it actually helps you more and it reaches way more people because you're not just doing outreach on Sabbath afternoon. Does that make sense? But you're doing outreach all week long. Of course it's more, it's more, it's more successful. It's clear, right? I mean, it's so, to me it's like so clear. I'm surprised that, that it's like hard to make the paradigm shift, you know? But it's, but it's, it's it, we're not used to thinking that way, you know? We're not used to thinking that way. So, but we need to get used to thinking that way, right? So, so that's, that's very important. All right, now how do we reach the cities? What did we learn? We, had, we read one quote where it said how we are to reach the cities. Remember? What did they do? What did they have in the cities? What were the things that they had in the cities? The programs. Huh? They had restaurants. Okay, here's the city. So what did they have in here? They had restaurants. Treatment rooms. What else? Clinics. They had counseling rooms. What else? Health food stores. What else? Think about it. What can you use? Think about it. Libraries, reading rooms. Uh, no. Not in the city. That's over there, right? Uh-huh. What else did they have in the cities? Cooking classes. What? Clothes store, right? Secondhand clothes store. We've, we heard that, right, in Copenhagen. Yeah, good idea. If it works, right? Why not? That's part of the concept. Absolutely. All right. What else? Transportation companies. Amen. What else? Airlines. <laughs> what else? What else? Design companies. What are, yeah, absolutely. Anything you can think of, right? To infiltrate, call bordering, medical missionary, door-to-door work, uh, orphan, orphans, you know, taking care of orphans and sick people, actually bringing them out of the city, right, to the other place, and so forth, right? All kinds of things, okay? I mean, an array of ship mission work, remember? Yeah, ship mission work, all right. So all, all kinds of things, anything that you can imagine, based on the needs of the people, okay? This is really important. How do you identify what do you need for your city? How do you identify what you need for your city? If you need a restaurant or if you don't need a restaurant, if you need a second-hand store or a transportation company, what do you do? You study the needs of the people, right? You need to do business. Not, this is intelligent mission work. This is not just, oh, Ellen White says, we need to do a restaurant. Oh, let's do a restaurant. You know, No, right? No, because you might, you, you know, praise God. God sometimes even blesses that, right? He sustains that even. But we need to do intelligent mission work. We need to, we need to assess the needs of the community. We need to identify, okay, what are the diseases that these people are struggling with? Right. In Maine, uh, one of the major diseases is, is Lyme's disease, okay? 
So you're not gonna, if, you, if you're going to start a program treating cancer, your program might just shut down in a few months. If you start a program treating Lyme's disease, it's going to be packed full, right? But it's because you did the research to find out what are the needs of the people. Do they need a restaurant? Do they need to eat healthy? Do they need to learn to do this? Do they need whatever, right? If there if there are a lot of a lot of big people, well, yeah, they need to learn how to how to eat uh, without cholesterol. So you offer, you you make a cookbook with the title "Cholesterol Free Kitchen." Whatever, right? I mean, you 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 design everything according to the need of that community. That's really important. So so you do assessment, you do surveys, you do you do smart, intelligent. Um, Evangelism, okay? So you reach that city with all of these things. <clears throat> Sustainable, business-based evangelism, okay? And then we have the concept on the outside. What is on the outside? We have the outpost centers. Where was, what was, what was to be there? We were to have all of our educational programs out there. What else? All of our health, treating the sick was supposed to be outside, exactly, in the country. What else? Gardening, agriculture, absolutely. What else? Alternative energy, okay, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely, for the time of the end especially, right? What else? Anything that does not directly connect with the people, okay? So, for instance, a printing press, is that in the city or is that in the outside? Yeah, it's outside, right? Because you can print everything outside and then bring it to the people. You don't need to be inside to print everything, right? Okay? So, they can be outside. The publishing houses, LNY says they should be outside. Because then they're not in the whole influences and all the negative things from the city, Right? So anything you can is outside, but most things are going to be inside the city because that's where all the people are. That's where we're supposed to meet the people. If you do a restaurant out in the boonies, who's going to come and eat there? Monkeys and mice, right? Yeah, it doesn't work, right? So you need to be where the people are, right? That's really, that's really important. All right. So we have this whole, this whole where were we supposed to live? Here, exactly. We're supposed to live here because it's the better place to be, right? You actually have a lot more oxygen. If you live in a, in a city, you know that your oxygen level goes down one to two or more percent even, right? Your oxygen, the oxygen level in the air, which means if you have that, that a lack of oxygen coming into your brain for years, what happens to your brain? Yeah, it gets less effective, right? It gets less effective. So it's clear, right? It's, it's clear, it's smarter, it's smarter for perfect harmonious development of beings. It's smarter to live out there, right? So, but as we said, right, some special cases can be called to do that, right? Even in the whole business evangelism concept, okay, there is a, you know, one percent or zero point something percent of people that are called to actually work ideally there's always exceptions to work ideally even 
in a worldly setting. This is possible, right? It's possible. For instance, there's, there's these stories of, uh, um, uh, what do you call them? A maid? A maid, right? That works for a president of a country, right? And through her testimony, the president gets converted, and the president converts half of the country. Th- this has existed, right? This has happened, right? So God is not restricted to the concept, right? God goes beyond that, right? He shows where it's more effective. But that's like, you know, 1%, 0.1%. At this point, we are doing, we're making the exception into the rule, right? We have 90-something percent being the exception. And then sustainable evangelism concept is like 0-point-something percent at this point in time, right? So we need to change it around and get everybody to work full-time in this thing and then have a few exceptions where, you know, where God puts them, right? That can, that's definitely possible. All right. How can we know that we're not the exception? Well, 99% is not the exception. So the possibility that you are the exception is very small, right? That's first point. Second point, it is dependent on your calling. And that's why we need to know how to know the voice of God, how to hear the voice of God, how to know His will. Right? So, so I can't tell you that you're not the exception. Right? You can't tell anybody that you're not the exception. In general, we're not the exception. Right? But, you know... Suddenly everybody, for convenience sake, says, oh, maybe I'm the exception. Yeah, no, that doesn't work, right? That doesn't work. So, so in general, we're the exception. Uh, we're not the exception. We're, we're the rule right, of, of committing all of our energies into these, into these lines gradually, right? All right. So, so that's the concept. This is how we were supposed to reach the cities. This is how we were supposed to reach the cities. There's multiple quotes in... Um, Testimonies, Volume 7, in Testimonies, Volume 9, in Medical Ministry, in, and in many other last day events and all kinds of books out there, right, that say that every single city has to be entered in with medical missionary work, right? Has to be entered in. Every single city needs to be worked like this, the way we've been designing it, right? The way we've been designing it. Let me read you just one quote that shows again, that confirms what we've been, what we've been talking about, so that you know I'm not just making this up. <clears throat> Let me read it to you. It is God's design that our people should locate outside the cities, here, excuse me, outside the cities, and from these outposts, warn the cities... And raise in them memorials for God, right? So that's how we should work, right? We should live here and work where? Here. So we can't live two hours, three hours, four hours away from the city, right? Doesn't work. You need to be, you need to be outside of the cities, of the influences, but you need to be close enough so that you can travel into the city to work there, right? All right. There must be a force of influence in the cities. That message of warning shall be heard. The cities are to be worked from outposts, said the messenger of God. Shall not the cities be warned? 
Yes, not by God's people living in them, but by their visiting them to warn them of what is coming upon this earth. All right? So that's the concept. This is the concept. So we need to work in the cities, live, out, live outside. All right. From all of this stuff, now we're going to see how this has a prophetic significance for the time of the end. Okay? Prophetic significance for the last day events. Okay? This work in the cities. How we need to work the cities. There's a, there's a, there's a beautiful book that has been put out just last year, this year, from the General Conference called Ministry to the Cities by the White Estate. Ministry to the Cities that gives us a pretty good idea of how we need to work the cities, okay? Ministry to the Cities. Here is a quote from Medical Ministry, page 304. This tells us prophetic significance. What will happen if we start working the cities as God would have them. How does God want to work the cities? From outside and with? Yes, centers of influence with the whole concept that we've been developing here, right? This is the concept. This is as God would have us work the cities. So now here, there is no change in the messages that God has sent us in the past. There's no change. From a hundred years ago, there's no change in how we need to do this, right? The work in the cities is the essential work for this time. This was written a hundred something years ago. It was the essential work for that time. And we never, we didn't do it. How much more essential is it now when the majority of all the world's inhabitants live in the cities? It wasn't that case. It wasn't the case back then. But now it's the majority of all the earth's inhabitants live in the cities. So much more important is it now to work the cities. It is the essential work for this time. When the cities are worked, this is the prophecy. When the cities are worked as God would have them, the result will be the setting in operation of a mighty movement such as we have not yet witnessed. God calls for self-sacrificing men converted to the truth to let their light shine forth in clear, distinct rays. You know, God calls for self-sacrifice. Sacrificial service, you know. We're not used to that. We're used to comfortable lifestyle, you know. But God calls for self-denial, calls for self-sacrifice. It requires a sacrifice on our behalf. It does. Right? But what is this prophecy saying? When the cities are worked as God would have them, how does God want the cities worked? Comprehensive, right? With the whole program, sustainable, not come in and do an evangelistic campaign and then leave again. That's not the way. Comprehensive, all the time, ongoing. Re no stop in evangelism in that city, right? With restaurants, health food stores, the whole nine yards. That is, that is as God would have them. What happens if we do that? That means everybody's going to get involved in mission work, right? The whole church. And then what would happen? According to this quote, what would happen? Did you hear it? 
Well, it says, it says, the result will be the setting and operation of a mighty movement. What movement is this talking about? What movement? This is the latter rain. This is the latter rain. This is, this is when the fourth angel, the fourth or the, the loud, actually it's the loud cry of the third angels, right? The third angel in Revelation 18. When the, when the latter rain starts to be poured out, that will produce a movement such as we have not yet witnessed, right? But in connection with the latter rain, actually the latter rain is the result of working the cities. This is what it's saying, right? So, we, you know, we can be in our pews praying and praying and praying for the Holy Spirit to be poured out, for the latter rain to be poured out, you know? 40 days of, of latter rain come upon us, you know? You know, it will not happen until we do what? Until we work the cities. Because the Holy Spirit does not want to bless somebody that uses it for themselves. <laughs> it's simple. The Holy Spirit is poured out for, on people that use it to advance what? God's work to reach the people, right? So it's when we start reaching the people, when we start working the cities, that's when the result will be the, the latter rain being poured out, being pushed forward, and that is going to be a movement, the movement that we have not yet witnessed. We have not seen this yet. But you know, this is the general conference vision that we have. General Conference, the worldwide Seventh-day Adventist Church, is trying to implement these things that are written here, right? It's not just the General Conference's plan. Whose plan is it? It's God's plan. That's the cool thing. That's why if we focus and develop and work towards doing this, towards the work of the cities, you know, we cannot fail. We cannot fail. Because it's prophesied that this is what's going to happen. Right? This is what's going to work if we work intelligently. If we do the research and find out how it works and, and then implement it into our time. Let me read you another quote that is in, com in, 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 op in cooperation with the same thing, the same scenario from a different point of view. It says, when the cities are worked, but it immediately implies when the cities are worked, as God would have them, that all church members start getting involved in mission work, right? Start becoming co-laborers with God, right? Same quote shows that there's a prophecy that if everybody starts getting involved in mission work, the Holy Spirit will also be poured out, right? Let me read it to you. We, I think we read it already once. Let me read it again. The great outpouring of the Spirit of God. Which, which great outpouring is this talking about? The latter rain, right? The great outpouring of the Spirit of God, which enlightens the whole earth with His glory. This is Revelation 18 will not come, it won't come, until we have an enlightened people that know by experience what it means to be laborers together with God. Until we have the experience to be co-laborers with God, right? That's when the Holy Spirit will be poured out. The Holy Spirit will not be poured out until we, until we get this right. It says, when we have an entire wholehearted consecration to the service of Christ, God will recognize the fact by an outpouring of His Spirit without measure. That's latter rain, right? 
So everybody gets involved in co-laboring with God in doing what? What are they going to do? What are they co-laboring with? Work in the cities. It's simple, right? Work in the cities. But this will not be while the largest portion of the church are not laborers together with God. Does that make sense? So the Holy Spirit is not going to be poured out until we realize that we need to get part of reaching the cities, mobilizing all the churches to reach their communities, their cities, to, to, to do this right. So, all right. So we're supposed to be working the cities, all the cities in the whole world, right? All the cities in the whole world. Just in Norway, we would have hundreds if not thousands of ministries reaching these cities. All Adventists would be involved in something trying to reach their local community, right? Just in Sweden, imagine, you know, I mean hundreds, okay? Hundreds of ministries all doing this work. Everywhere, right? Now, there's a strategic plan on how we need to go step by step in order for this to actually develop on an international basis, on an international level, as quickly as possible, within a generation, right? Within a generation. There's actually, there's actually a prophecy that tells us how, where we should start and then where we should go to, right? It's amazing. Let me read this to you. Where should we start? Testimonies, volume 7, page 37. It's also in medical ministry. It's also in the book Evangelism, page 384. Those who bear the burden of the work in greater New York should have the help of the best workers that can be secured. We won't get distracted by this, right? All right. Okay. In New York, we need the helpers, the best workers need to be secured for their work in New York. Why? Here's the, here's the key. Here, let a center for God's work be made. And let all that is done in New York be a symbol of the work the Lord desires to, to see done in the world, in the rest of the world. What does this mean? This means New York needs to be the symbol, right? The model on how we need to reach the cities. So what do we need to focus all of our energies into? Yeah, New York. We need to, we need to focus all of our energies into making New York, the model so that every other place, every other city can be modeled after how we are reaching the city of New York. Why New York? Huh? It's one of the biggest cities. <clears throat> it's, it's actually the most international city in the planet Earth, right? Everybody 
looks towards New York, if they think United States, everybody thinks New York. It's amazing. It's really interesting, right? Derek Morris said the other day, there's over 800 languages just in New York, right? I mean, it's amazing, right? All these cultures, everybody. It's like miniature the world in a, in a nutshell, right? In miniature, that's New York. Everybody looks towards that. So, so if we do it right in New York, you know this is actually the, the model business plan. This is like the best business plan for any business. If you want to develop a business internationally, you have to do it in New York. <laughs> That's how it works. It's actually how it works, right? New York, tack, 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 and start, start developing, right? Internationally, it's the smartest way to do it, right? So, so let New York be the model, and this is the most amazing thing. So New York needs to be the model, and then what do we need to do? We need to implement it in the rest of the world, right? First in all the biggest cities locally wherever we live, right? Wherever we are. So this is actually, this is the most amazing thing. That the general conference strategic plan, the general conference strategic plan of Seventh-day Adventists, they have developed a strategic plan for on how to reach all the cities. And guess where they're starting with? New York. New York 2013. Next year, tomorrow. Is it tomorrow? Yes. Amen, right? 2013 is going to be the focus on making New York the model on how we can reach, sustainably reach the city, right? So everybody's going there, right? We heard it. We heard it uh, the, the other day, right? With Ted Wilson and... 350 evangelistic campaigns, but they're not only doing evangelistic campaigns. They're doing sustainable evangelism. They're doing, they're doing pre-work, after-work, and establishing. Right now, they're in the process of trying to establish sanitariums, lifestyle centers outside of New York, right? And they're, they're, they're working on plans on how to develop um, restaurants and so forth, right? Unfortunately, we haven't done it in the past, so we have a hard time trying to figure out how to do it, right? But... But, but that's, the, that's the whole plan on how to reach New York. And then the plan is in 2014 to do what? You know that the world church, the Adventist church, has how many divisions? You know? 13 world divisions, right? There's 13 world divisions. So in 2014, what they're going to do is they're going to take the biggest city in each division, each division chooses their biggest city in in, in um, Inter-America, it's going to be probably Mexico, Mexico City, right? It's the biggest city. And they're going to try to reach Mexico City and bring all the union and conference leaders and everybody, bring to that event and make that into the model after New York, right? And so everybody goes there and sees how it's done there. And then, and this is happening in all the divisions, okay? All the divisions are going to do this. And then, what do we do then? And then every union needs to pick their biggest city, right? The, the, their, uh, Norway is going to pick what? <clears throat> what? Either Oslo or Bergen, right? Uh, uh, oh, the union has several cities. Excellent. So they're going to take several cities, probably 
mainly first one big city, right? And so they're going to try to, 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 to take their city and, and implement that whole concept with all the church members there into that city. And then from the unions, what happens? Every conference takes their city or their cities and tries to reach those people, right? So where, where do we fall into place? Well, in all of them, right? In all of them. They're going to have to do it with all the church members, right? So this mobilizes the entire church. This mobilizes the entire world church, right? The idea is by 2015, imagine, 2015. This is in like three years, okay? To have, huh? Yeah, like two and a half years. Yeah, it's going to be by the general conference session in, in, in July, right? So 200, two and a half years, we have now to try to reach 650 of the biggest cities in the entire world until 2015. You know what? If this works well, which it can, if the Holy Spirit is poured out on God's people, this will be a movement such as we have never yet witnessed. This will be, this can actually be the latter rain movement. According to prophecy, this can be the latter rain movement. This has not happened in a hundred something years. Did you know that? This, what we're experiencing at this point in time, has not happened since 1901. Nine, okay? Since 1909, there has not been this kind of a plan to reach the cities. Is that amazing? So now we have this tremendous opportunity to be part of this plan. And you know, we need to focus all of our life work, our life work, every person's life work. We need to focus it into these lines. If we focus our life work into this line, then this can actually happen. Then the Holy Spirit will be poured out and these cities will be reached and it will be reached in such a manner that it will never stop, right? Because it's comprehensive, sustainable evangelism. It's ongoing. You know, evangelism is supposed to be a lifestyle, not an event. It's supposed to be a lifestyle. So everybody would be incorporated in this. This should be our objective to that all of our lives can somehow be aligned into this way of, of, of reaching the rest of the world. That is our mission. That has been our mission for, of Seventh-day Adventists since 1844. And until now, it's like really being revealed to, our, to all of our denomination, our entire denomination, right? That's amazing. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. It's like the most solemn time. You know, I am so excited that I live now and not 20 years ago. I'm serious, you know? Like now, we get to have the opportunity to be part of this. You know, I would be the most bored person on this planet if I couldn't be part of this plan, you know? Oh, I would be the most frustrated person. Oh, having to work my worldly job somewhere, you know? And watch everybody reaching all these cities and doing this whole plan. 
oh, I'd be the most frustrated person. I'm serious, you know? Oh, working my, my job in Switzerland, you know? Oh, it would be, oh, it would be the worst thing, you know? I hope that it, it, it becomes such a burden on your heart that it also becomes the worst thing, you know? And that we can only find happiness in the Lord's service, you know? We can find happiness in aligning our, our life work with God's plan. If we do this, then God's plan will actually be accomplished. The, you know, the only hindrance of God accomplishing His work is what? Yeah, it's us, it's self, right? It's self that needs to be put aside, right? That's what we need to learn. We need to learn... We are the greatest obstacle in God's work. We are the greatest obstacle. It is if we don't decide to put our life work in alignment with God's work, then God cannot do anything. He can't do anything because he chooses to work through us, not around us, right? So this is really, really important. So now we have a half an hour and we're going to go through the specific steps. Now, we, we, have a, we have an idea. There's a lot of details, okay? We, I could read you a hundred quotes here, right? There's a lot of details on how this whole strategic plan was designed and everything, how the medical missionary work was actually combined with all of this. Actually, you know what medical missionary work really is? I'm going to share with you a quote from, from medical ministry. Okay, medical missionary, medical missionary work is the right hand of the gospel. You know what the right hand, have you ever done the study of the right hand of God in the Bible? You heard about it? The right hand, you know what God does with his right hand? He saves God's people out of Israel, out of Egypt, excuse me, right? With his mighty right hand of his righteousness, right it's the symbol of power exactly it's the power unto salvation the right hand is power unto salvation it's it's how god saves people god saves people through his right hand in all instances you can read psalms you can read all the texts of the right hand and you'll find out that actually everything that god does he does with his right hand Do you know that? Everything, all action that God does, he does with his right hand. He goes, right? That's actually how medical missionary work was designed. Now, let me give you another quote to actually expand your understanding, our understanding of medical missionary work, right? It's not just, you know, giving a hydrotherapy treatment, okay? Medical missionary work, according to medical ministry, and I encourage you to read that book. Also, uh, Ministry of Healing and different other books, right? But medical ministry, it says, it says, medical missionary work, it defines what medical missionary work is. Medical missionary work is the gospel in practice. It is the gospel practically carried out. It is the compassion of Christ revealed. That is medical missionary work. 
So medical missionary work is not an option. Actually, it is the gospel itself. It is the gospel in practice. It's not the gospel in theory, okay? It's not the gospel in theology. It's the gospel in practice, in everyday life. How I serve you. It's the spirit of unselfish love, unselfish ministry to help the people around you with whatever they need, right? Ellen White says, if you bake a loaf of bread and give it to your neighbor, that is medical missionary work, right? Because you're thinking of somebody else instead of yourself, right? It's the gospel in practice. It's the gospel practically carried out. It's the compassion of Christ revealed. That is medical missionary work, okay? So, the right hand of the gospel, that's the health message, right? The right hand of the third angel's message is the gospel in practice. It is the practical side of the gospel. It is part of the gospel. Medical missionary work, health work is actually part of the gospel. It's not separate. It's not here's the gospel and here's health work. Here's the gospel and here's medical missionary work. No. It's, it's one and the same thing. It's the gospel in theology and the gospel in practice. Does that make sense? That's what it is. It is actually Christ living in us. That is medical missionary work. That's why it says in the same book that that is what medical missionary work is going to, in cooperation, in combination with the third angel's message, that is what's going to restore the image of God in man. That's what's going to restore the image of God in man. This is crucially important, right? Why? Because it's not only now head knowledge. It's not what we just know going to church on Sabbath 52 times a week, uh, a, ma- a year. Not 52 times a week. 52 times a year listening to all this gospel, right? Which is important. It's, 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 it's vitally important. But it means we need to put all of what God has done for us, the gospel, what, 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 what God has done for us, all of that, we need to put that into practical terms. That is medical missionary work. So what we've been studying here, mission to the cities, comprehensive sustainable evangelism, that is actually the essence of medical missionary work. That it is, that's what it is. It's, it's everybody putting the gospel suddenly into practice. Not only believing it and doing worldly job, but actually believing it and having it put into practice in my daily life. That's medical missionary work. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's why we need to we need to advocate, we need to support, we need to push forward medical missionary work. This is this is vitally, vitally important. Okay. So as we go through this, let's go through. The basic steps on how to know God's will for your life. All right. There is, I used to have five steps on knowing God's will for your life. Um, now I've, I've um, there, actually one of the steps is kind of part of the other, the, the, the fourth step. So we're going to just combine those. So there's actually four steps a pre-step and then three main steps, all right? So four steps on knowing God's will for your life. Four steps. They are defined as clear as can be, and we'll read it right here. Um, actually, before we read it, we'll just go through the first step. The first step 
is gonna is the pre-step that we need to understand before we go actually into the steps of knowing God's will. Where do I have it? Here we go. All right. Okay, the pre-step, the first step. Okay, we're going to go through this fairly quickly. I could spend, I could spend uh, a whole week just, just discussing all the details of how these things work. But we're going we're gonna to discuss quickly. First step of knowing God's will of the four, first step is what? Total surrender. No, not, yeah. Total surrender, yes. Prayer and everything is all part of that, right? Total surrender slash commitment, okay? Commitment. You need, we need, in order for us to be even be able to perceive God's will, to begin to even understand God's will, we need to surrender all of our preconceived ideas, okay? All of our, you know, what we have thought, we have to surrender all of our personal plans for our future. If we don't surrender these plans for, for our future, if we don't surrender our even relationships, okay, sometimes, if we don't surrender all of these things, you will never be able to find God's ideal will, okay? God's ideal will. Ellen White says that we can be doing a good work wherever we are, right? But she says, if we are in God's ideal will, we will be 100 times more successful. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I read it the other day. It's like, I don't know if it was either Ministry of Healing or it was, uh, yeah, you just put in your app, man. Yeah. I find them all like that. Yeah. So, so you need to be willing to surrender everything. Otherwise, you will be content with 1%. You know? Even those people working in worldly jobs, they are successful. They get maybe, they, they, they can get maybe one or two, you know, very consecrated Adventists, okay? Working in worldly business, they'll get one or two people to come to church. Have you, have you seen that? It exists, right? It exists. Most people never get anybody, right? Most people. But there's, there's a few that are very consecrated and, and they get one or two people. But imagine one or two people, you know that's the 1%. That's the 1%. If we do ideal, we can do a hundredfold. It would be, they would have been saving 100 or 200%. 200 people instead of one or two, right? So that's where we need to be focusing on. If we start focusing on one, well, we're not going to see Jesus come very soon. If we start focusing on 200, right? Yeah, yeah, it's going to go faster, right? So we need to be willing, and everything starts with that. We need to learn how to surrender. Actually, surrendering means to be willing to live for the rest of your life as a cripple, if need be. A cripple, an invalid. You know what that means? A cripple? How do you explain a cripple? A, somebody with deficiencies? Like you're, 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 you have to be willing 
to, to be, you know, paraplegic or something like that. Paraplegic, you know, your back broken, you're in the, you're in, in the, in the wheelchair for the rest of your life. You have to be willing to do this for God. That's surrendering everything. If you have not done that, then we need to pray. We need to pray for you to be able, for us to be able to really surrender our will completely to God. Okay? Be willing to do anything. Be willing to be a cripple for the rest of your life if need be. If that would bring somebody to heaven, be willing to do that. God was b- willing to do more than that. God was willing to not just be a cripple, but to be tortured and die of the weight of the sin of the whole world for you know, us. Right? It's, it's even worse. Right? So, no, I'm just thinking, you know, a lot of us want to know God's will without knowing God. You cannot know God's will if you do not know God. When you get to know God, you get to love God. When you love God, you cannot but surrender. Absolutely. So I think, you know, it's a lot of people comment, can you give me a recipe? You know, how can I know God's will for my life? No, that doesn't work like that. You have to know God himself. Absolutely. It takes lots of perseverance because sometimes you just read the Bible and still nothing sticks out. But it's like you have to keep persevering. Right, right. Now, the whole process, this is what it is, right? We'll go through now the next three steps. And these three steps determine, show that you have to. It takes time and it takes getting to know God in that area of your life, right? We can never fully know God, you know. God is so beyond, you know. We know know not even 1% of everything that God is or everything that who God is, you know. Because God is revealed in the whole universe. We only know what, this much from the universe? You know, so <laughs> God is way beyond, right? So this is really important. Let's try, let's try to go, go forward. Um, so the first step is complete surrender. If you have not done complete surrender yet, okay, if you have not been willing to surrender your life completely to God, that is where you need to start. That's where we need to start. Be willing to do anything. God most probably... Yeah. He's not going to ask you to be a cripple, but he might. <laughs> yeah. God wants to be effective with you, but there's some people that have been that have saved hundreds and thousands of people by being a cripple. You know, I don't know if you know this testimony of this guy that doesn't have any any arms or legs. Nick, yeah. Thousands of people, you know? You have to be willing to be like that. If God wants to save thousands of people through you being like that, you have to be willing to do that. We have to be willing to do that, right? That's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's easy for me either, right? But that's the ideal. That's, that's, what, that's, what, um, that's what God requires of us, to be willing to do that. This has to do with actually the image of God that we have. If we have a bad image of God... Our image of God is made up of how our parents have, te- have treated us in the past, right? In the first, usually first 12 years of our lives, right? So if your parents treated you fairly bad or they, you know, you, they, they've, they've done certain things to you and different things, 
you know, they've scolded you if you did something wrong, you feel, you'll think like God will scold you if you did something wrong. Does that make sense? That's how it works, right? So therefore, if you don't, if you've not been able to develop a, a relationship, a trust relationship with God, it's because of that. It's, it, it comes from there, right? So if you develop a, a, a trust relationship, well, it's going to be easy for you to surrender. If you don't have a trust relationship, this is what you guys were saying, you know, if we don't have a trust relationship with God, oh, I don't know if I can trust this guy. He might fool around with me, you know? I know some people that, that feel like that. God is going to take advantage of them. God is going to, you know, he's going to, you know, tell them stuff to do and put them into difficult situations and see how they work, you know? I mean, you know, the, people have that idea because that's how they were treated in the past, you know? And so, so then it becomes very hard to surrender. And then in that case... Yeah, you don't want to surrender. You can't surrender yet. You, you're, you're afraid to surrender. But if you develop your relationship with Christ, you, you just start to get to know him. You're trying to figure out, okay, who is this guy? Because God is not like your parents. God is 100,000 times better than your parents, right? So, so we need to get rid of that idea and start developing our real concept of who God is. And then you'll have such a loving trustful relationship that it'll be you know it's going to be the easiest thing for you to surrender you say lord lord just tell me what to do you know because you know that he's going to tell you the best thing the best thing that exists on this planet for you he's going to give it to you that's what he's going to do only that nothing else right and that's what we need to trust in so we need to learn how to trust god all right second point second point in knowing god's will Second step is the Word of God, okay? The Word of God is the first, the very first place where you find the principles. Be sure to identify its principles of the general direction of where God's will is, okay? That's revealed in his word. Actually, 90% of God's will is revealed in God's word. We don't, there's, there's, you know, it gives us, it gives us the direction. It's like this. It's like, it's like here, you know, you're standing here. Okay. This, all of this, all of that, this is not God's will. The Bible tells us these are the boundaries. Okay. This is what the Bible does. It tells you the boundaries. It tells you the principles of where it's going. Don't study your Bible like this. <laughs> and read something and feel like, oh, he hung himself? Oh, maybe I should do that, right? No, right? None of that. You know, I used to do that too, you know? But that's not how God wants to reveal his will, you know. We might, we might have gone into this sometimes, you know. And even God can sometimes use that, you know. Don't get me wrong, you know. God uses anything to, tell, to, to try to get you your attention, right? To try to tell you what to do, right? Right, but it's, it, that's not how God wants to work. It's not, it's not God's ideal. God has revealed his will to be able for, for us to be able to identify what, what the principles are of how God works, how God has worked in the past and how he wants to work in the future. So if you have a question, okay, who should I marry? Okay. Well, what do you have to do? Where do you have to find, what do you have to figure out? 
How do you study to figure out who to, who to marry? Huh? The Bible, okay. The stories of the Bible, what stories of the Bible? Am I going to talk about, I'm going to talk about Job and Gideon? Yeah, absolutely. You start identifying, okay, what are the principles? How did Isaac get his wife? How did Abraham get his wife, right? And so you start analyzing all these principles, and then there's Paul that writes a few things about how wives should be, how, how husbands should be, right? And then there's a few things in Proverbs, you know, Proverbs 31, right? The virtuous woman, right? And you, you analyze all of these things, right? And you figure out, oh, okay. Okay, this is kind of what I'm looking for. Not only that, but you need to look for what God says about the men, right? If you're a man, yeah, to be a godly man, you, you, you figure out what are the principles. And not only that, the Word of God encompasses all inspired writings, right? This means because the Word of God is the Word that comes out of God's mouth, right? The Word of God comes out of God's mouth and goes to a prophet, right? The prophet is inspired. Actually, it's it, the, the Holy Spirit takes the word of God and gives it to the prophet, right? That's the, that's the spirit, the Holy Spirit, that inspires prophets. That is actually what the spirit of prophecy is, right? The spirit of prophecy is the spirit that inspires prophets, right? So, so actually, the spirit of prophecy has inspired every single prophet in the entire world's history. So Daniel was, insti- was inspired by the spirit of prophecy. Paul was inspired by the spirit of prophecy. Does that make sense? We think, we say spirit of prophecy, we think Ellen White, right? But that's actually not the real concept of spirit of prophecy. Spirit of prophecy includes the spirit that inspires all prophets. That's the spirit of prophecy, right? So that's really important for us to understand because every prophet was same way inspired as any other prophet, whether they wrote a book or whether they didn't write a book, right? Actually, every prophet that lived during that time, during their time, was not in the Bible. Daniel was not in the Bible when he wrote his book. It's like Ellen White. He was not in the Bible. Isaiah was not in the Bible when he wrote his book. He was an outer biblical prophet. Actually, every single prophet in the entire history was an outer biblical prophet. Today, because we have put history into a book, we think, oh, these are the, this, these are the only inspired prophets. And we kind of think, think it's weird that we have an outer biblical prophet today, right? But that's not weird at all. That's like any Bible time. <laughs> it's the same thing. Anybody lived as an outer biblical prophet. Every prophet that ever lived, lived as an outer biblical Daniel's book was not in the book of the Bible, was not in the Bible when he wrote it. The Bible didn't exist as that yet, right? So that's really important to understand. So all inspired writings actually are encompassed in the first step, right? It's the word of God. So not only can you study there about who you should marry, but where else can you go study? The writings of Ellen White, absolutely. Absolutely. Which writings of Ellen White? 
Messages to young people. That's a good one. Advent is home. Amen. Wow, that has a ton of stuff in it, right? Excellent book, right? I encourage you to read that if you, before you get married and if possible even before you get a, get, a, get a girlfriend or a boyfriend, okay? Before then because you'll realize the seriousness and you'll definitely pray a lot more for that, right? So very important. Okay, Advent is home. Messages to young people. Letters to young lovers, right? Have you read that? Yeah, okay. These are the kind of books. You're not going to read Ministry of Healing, okay? <laughs> Ministry of Healing, yeah, has a little bit of principles, right? But it's not really talking about that topic. So it's an intelligent way of finding the principles of how God deals with things, how God thinks about that. That's how you need to study your Bible, right? So that's, that's very important. Not, okay, none of, none of, none of that, right? And, and, and it's like, People just use texts just randomly, you know, they just like, oh, and, you know, I had one person at a mission school once, you know, and, and that person was just like, she was, she, she was not very happy with the situation in the mission school. You know, mission school, it develops your character, right? It's the main focus. So, so developing character, we realized, okay, it's trials that make you develop character, right? So you're going to have trials, and so some people... They think, oh, there's some trials coming, right? They feel uncomfortable. Somebody's upset at them and this and that, you know. And they are tempted to think, oh, maybe this is not God's will for me to be here, right? Because there's a bunch of trials. And that's actually exactly the opposite, right? It's because God wants you to be there that you get trials, right? So anyway, but, but she thought, oh, she wasn't really feeling comfortable. It's very hard, you know. It's emotional and all this stuff. So then she's like, okay, well, maybe God doesn't want me to be here. So let me study the Bible and see if God really wants me to be here. She goes to Genesis. And Genesis, uh, she reads the text where it says, and Abraham needs to, uh, there's a prophecy that Abraham needs to go back to his home country. And she's like, oh, this is God's will. I need to go back home. Probably there's some emergency there that I need to help out with, right? And so she comes up and she tells the, she tells the committee, right? She's like, uh, I believe that I need to go back home <laughs> because I read this text. So I'm like, I don't know about that. I don't know if that's the way, the way God really, really reveals his will, right? Because we can confirm anything. If we have not surrendered the first point, if we don't do the first point, if we haven't surrendered everything, then we can manipulate every single point. You can read the Bible and find out what you want to hear instead of what God wants to tell you, right? You can manipulate anything. So that's very important that we, that we need to understand. Um, a, a verse, the most prominent verse for knowing God's will for your life, the most prominent um, text, and I'm going to read it to you here. This is from Five Testimonies, okay? Testimonies, volume 5, page 512. If possible, you need to memorize it. I haven't memorized it yet, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm very motivated to memorize this. 512. Testimonies, volume 5, page 512. This is the most important text that you need to know 
God's will for your life, okay? There's many others. I can give you this document, okay? I can give you this document. Afterwards, if you, if you send me an email, I'll, I, have a, I have cards here. You can get it all. Um, uh, write me and I'll send you this, the whole document on all the details. There's many different things. All right, let me read it to you. There are three ways in which the Lord reveals His will to us. Three ways. Simple, right? It's amazing. Okay, so we have a pre-step. The pre-step we already have. Surrender everything. It's, all, it's also in here, but it's not as a step. It's a, it's a, it's a pre-step, right? So there's three main ways on how God reveals His will to us. To guide us and to fit us to guide others. Hmm. How may we know his voice from that of a stranger? How shall we distinguish it from the voice of a false shepherd? God reveals his will to us in his word, the Holy Scriptures. That's the first thing. His voice is also revealed in his providential workings. Providence. Okay, we're going to... We're going to just talk about that shortly afterwards. And it will be recognized if we do not separate our souls from Him by walking in our own ways, doing according to our own wills, and following the promptings of an unsanctified heart until the senses have become so confused that eternal things are not discerned. And the voice of Satan is so disguised that it is accepted as the voice of God. So this is the problem actually with providential workings, right? Providential workings can only be discerned by a converted heart. right? Because God can open the doors. Providence means doors that are necessary to be opened to you. That's the last step actually. Step number four. The last step is providential workings. The second step is is the impressions of the Holy Spirit. We'll go through that. So you just write it down. First, surrender. Second, the Word of God. Third, impressions of the Holy Spirit. And fourth is providential workings, okay? Providence. Providential workings, as it shows here in the text, is very, it's, it's not so easy to identify providential workings if we don't have a converted heart, right? Because God can open the doors. Providence means that the open and closed doors, right? That you can walk through or not walk through, right? So it's the necessary steps that need to take place in order for you to be able to achieve God's will. So, so um, the problem is that God can open the doors and also who can open doors? Satan can also open doors, right? And Satan can also close doors and God can also close doors. So, so how do you identify providential workings? Well, a converted heart and and focus, right? Focus on, on the on, on the right things. So that's very important. All right. From there, there it continues and it says, another way in which God's voice is heard is through the appeals of his Holy Spirit making impressions upon the heart. Impressions of the Holy Spirit. That's number step number three, right? making impressions upon the heart, which will be wrought out in the character. It's really important. It focuses on the character development. If you are in doubt upon any subject, 
you must first consult the scriptures. First consult the scriptures. Study it. It takes time, okay? It takes time to find some God's will in detail. Study the scriptures. If you have truly begun the life of faith, you have given yourself to the Lord to be wholly His, and which is the step number one, right? We've been talking about to be wholly His, and He has taken you to mold and fashion you according to His purpose, and that you may be a vessel unto honor. You should have an earnest desire to be pliable in His hands and to follow whithersoever He may lead you. You are then trusting Him to work out His designs while at the same time you are cooperating with Him by working out your own salvation in fear and trembling. You, my brother... Oh, anyway. All right. That's the context. All right. So that's very, very important. So the impressions of the Holy Spirit, the providential workings, and the Word of God as the basis for everything. The Word of God actually tells us almost everything, right? 90% is revealed in the Word of God. You know, Minister of Healing, page 395. True education is missionary training. Every son and daughter of God is called to be a missionary. We are called to serve God and our fellow men. And the object of this, and and... And this should be the object of our education. Hey, every son and daughter of God is called to be a missionary. It's not a, you know, the word of God already tells us, right here. It gives us the boundaries. It shows us, okay, this is the direction. You're going to be in mission work. You're going to be in this and that. We don't like to do that. We like to go all over the place, right? But actually the word of God already gives us the boundaries. It gives us the boundaries. Impressions of the Holy Spirit and providential workings give us the details within the boundaries. Okay? So, the boundaries tells us um, we have come to a time when every member of the church should take hold of medical missionary work. Right? That's the boundary. Okay. I need to take hold of medical missionary work no matter what. That's the boundary. Okay, this is within God's will. Now, how do I get medical missionary work? Right. Well, I need to get training. Right. You need to go to some medical missionary school. You need to get some training somehow, somewhere, right? So the question is not, should I get medical missionary training or should I not? That's not the question. No, that's the boundary, right? Yeah, you need to get medical missionary training. Now, how, where, and all these details, those are defined by the impressions of the Holy Spirit and by providential workings, right? And actually, as part of providential workings, includes the counsel of many. Proverbs, right? Proverbs says, there's wisdom in the counsel of many. I used to have that as a separate, a separate step. But actually, it's part of the providences it's you speak. The majority of the people that you speak with, if they're spiritual people, will usually be God's will. So you say, okay, where should I go study? Should I go study in Hergelia? Or should I go study at Matteson? Mission school, right? Here in Norway. What should I do, right? So that's it within the boundaries. 
But now, where is the best place for you? Well, that is not written in the Bible. Where is the best place? That's not written. The principles are given, but that's not written. So the details now, you need to pray, pray, and listen to your conscience. Listen to the appeals of the Holy Spirit. And, and actually, one of the main ways how you can find what, what your, the Holy Spirit is telling you is where you have peace. Okay? When I was called to Wildwood, I didn't want to go to Wildwood. Believe me, I didn't want to go to Wildwood. But I had, you know, when I, when I d- had all of my options, the only place where I had peace in my mind was at Wildwood. Even though my emotions were not, were against Wildwood, most of all the places, my emotions, I didn't want to go to Wildwood, but the only place I had peace in my conscience was when I said, okay, I'm going to go to Wildwood. That's when I had peace. So, so it, is, it is the peace, this Colossians, Colossians 1, uh, I don't remember, 27 or something like that, says, says the, the peace above all understanding, right? that we can get when we do God's will. So that's very important in, in, in the impressions of the Holy Spirit. Also, Ministry of Healing, chapter 3, I think it's chapter 3 or chapter 4, um, says that to hear the voice of God, we need to spend time in nature. We need to spend time in nature with God um, because you hear the voice of God a lot better when you are in nature surrounded by the things that God has made. City is surrounded by the things that man has made and, it's, and it becomes very hard for us to actually discern the voice of God. It's much easier when it's quiet. In quietude is another important step. In quietude, not when you have your you know, things going on. You, you won't hear the voice of God. Believe me, right? So that's very important. Um, that and the only last thing that I want to mention on providential workings um, is is that yeah you need to heed the counsel of the people around you god can lead you without the counsel it's possible right there's another quote that shows that that is possible but but usually he wants you to depend also on on your surroundings so that you don't become fanatical because fanatical people usually don't don't listen to people right so not fanatical people, common sense people, right? They also listen to other people's counsel, right? That's really important. Get your mentors, right? I don't know if you were in my other leadership course. Get some mentors that can tell you, okay, this is good, this is bad, and so forth, right? So, so make sure that you get that counsel as well as part of the providence, right? Providence means necessary things that have to happen. So you can't... It can't be signs. Don't think of asking for a sign. Lord, what would you have me? You know, oh, if that girl tomorrow, I've had a friend that did this. Uh, if, the, if, the, if that girl tomorrow walks out at 6.15 out of her dorm, has that, that red dress on, and tells me these words, then I know that she needs to be my wife. And he stood up there at 610, uh, waiting for her to come out. And guess what? 615. She had a red dress on. And she said exactly what he wanted to hear, right? 
and they never married. <laughs> he, he approached her. He approached her. He, he was shocked, right? He was like, whoa. <laughs> and then he's like, hey, uh, I believe that you need to be my wife. <laughs> Guess what she said? You're nuts, exactly. You're crazy, right? So that actually, you know, asking for signs is usually a sign of a lack of faith. It's a sign of a lack of faith because it's by having faith that we trust in God's providences to open and close the doors. We don't need to find miracles and all these things to be able to follow God's will. Asking signs is usually a, a, a lack of Faith. I could give you some examples, but we don't have enough time. Um, that's really, that's crucial. That's very important. So not asking for signs. There's a difference between signs and providences. Providences is, okay, if you apply to a mission school, we get a lot of these from all over the world to come to Wildwood. You know, a providence is things that have to happen in order for that to happen, okay? So if God wants you to be at Wildwood, well, you're going to get the money, you're going to get the embassy appointment. You're going to get your visa. You're going to get the airline ticket. Everything's going to work out, right? Those are providences. Those are the providences. They have to happen in order for this to happen. Nothing else is providence. The things that have to happen, those are providences, right? So if you don't get your visa, don't get upset at God. Say, God, why didn't I get the visa? Wasn't it God's will for me to go there? No. If you didn't get the visa, well, then it wasn't God's will for you to do it now, right? It doesn't mean that it wasn't God's will for you to do missionary training. Of course not. That's in the boundaries. It's, it is God's will. But maybe not now, maybe not this place, maybe not this school, maybe another school, right? God knows what's going to happen. Who are the friends? Who are the people around you, right? And so forth. So he, we don't know. We have no idea, you know? We depend on God to tell us, Lord, here, go this. This, 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 okay? So that's very important. You can have 100% safety that this is what God wants you to do. For me, you know, I praise God that I, I'm, not, I'm not in, oh, is it God's will for me to be here or not? You know? No, I, I know 100% sure that what I am, what, what God has called me to do here is, or at Wildwood, I'm 100% sure that God has led me here, you know? And I need to stick to that. And I've had a bunch of trials, believe me. But those trials have helped me more than anything else because I went through them, right? And I learned from them. And so, and so not, not, and I've gotten other calls, you know, other calls to run other organizations or something like that, you know. And I could have said in, in, in these big trials, you know, I could have said, oh yeah, pff, get out of here, right? No, that's not what God wants, right? That's not what God wants. Now, God always gives you opportunity to doubt if you want to doubt so he doesn't give you a hundred percent clarity with no doubt uh, a possibility of doubt he always leaves the open for the doubting the person that wants to doubt they can doubt and they won't see god's will right that's always possible right um we need to finish <laughs> But um, I get, uh, the, the other points, you know, like you need, to, you need to do your best in the work that you're doing right now in order for you to actually be able to see what God's will is for you in the future. There's a bunch of conditions that need to happen 
in order for, for God's will to be able to, to, to be revealed to you. Um, they're all in the document and with all the quotes in there that, that show what, what it is and what is not, right? So I encourage you to not, um, not be satisfied until you know 100% sure what God wants you to do. You can't have safety. You can't have surety. This is what God wants you to do, right? So, so that is my prayer. That is my prayer for all of us that we can align our lives with God's strategic plan and, and find out and hold strong to that because trials and everything will come. They will come. They're going to prepare us for the final crisis. So, so, so we need to be very strong in God's will and doing what God wants us to do. Amen? Amen. Have you enjoyed the seminar? Yes. Amen. Praise God. All right. So let's have a word of prayer and we'll go to lunch. Actually, let's kneel for prayer. This, this is kind of a prayer of consecration to God's will. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, we really praise your name that you have um, such obvious ways on how you want to reveal your will to us. Lord, we do not have to be in doubt. We do not have to be in... in uh, in uncertainty, what is your will, where am I supposed to be, and so forth, Lord. Lord, most people today have no idea whether they are in God's will or not. And Lord, that is a mess. Lord, help us. Help us to understand how you reveal your will and follow those steps um, consistently so that we might truly be found Um, faithful servants, Lord, doing your will, using our talents, using our talents not to advance our work, but to advance your work. Lord, that is our prayer for every single person in this room, that we may bring about this final movement that you have foretold that will happen. Thank you, Lord, that we can be part of this. And Lord, not by our might nor by our power, but by your spirit and by your merits for everything that you have done for us at the cross. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org